Welcome to I Communicate on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome to I Communicate. And uh, I Communicate, for those of you who are new listeners today, is a podcast about how to be a more effective communicator. And that effective communication can come from confidence. It can come from assertiveness. It can come from being succinct in your communication. It can come from being prepared in your for your communication. So really love doing this show. I, you know, I started Mindset Go uh, over six years ago for really three reasons, to help people build their confidence, shift their mindset, and increase their skills and core competencies so they can be better in areas they want to be better. And today we've got a really fun topic. You know, I'm working with a few clients right now on the topic of how do you deal with someone when they're frustrated? And the initial request was, and if you look at how the last year and a half has gone in the workplace, you know, how do you motivate people during challenging times when people are frustrated with their day-to-day tasks, perhaps frustrated with unnecessary steps of processes and procedures they need to follow at work, frustrated with ongoing changes. We're hearing a lot of people talk about change fatigue right now. But the overall message here is, how do you, what do you do when people are frustrated? How do you help them? And the way I see it is, there's three ways we can help people when they're frustrated. But first, you would have to understand what they need and what they want from you, right? Because we tend, to, we tend to help people based on what we think they need versus what they need, okay? So there are three things that we should be aware of, right, when we're, when we're helping people with their frustration. Number one is listen to validate. You've heard this before. We've talked about this on the show before. People don't want you to solve problems. This is the whole men are from Mars, women are from Venus thing. You know, men go into immediate problem-solving mode. I, you know, I'm a coach. I do this for a living. And there are even times in my personal relationships where I have to stop myself. I go into problem-solving mode. It's like an instinct reaction, default reaction for people. So the first is listen to validate. Listen to understand what, what do people want from you. They may just want to vent. They may just want you to listen and be a sounding board. That's it, right? So that's one. The second is sometimes they may want you to problem solve for them, but they really need you to listen effectively and they need you to ask really important questions so you're in the best position to problem solve. You know, I get teased all the time because I'm all about asking questions. And I often, people, like I might might ask people anywhere from five to ten questions before I feel comfortable even giving any insight and perspective onto a problem. Because I need to understand where they're coming from. There's a lot of situational details that need to be discussed. So that second thing is listening to problem solve while asking key questions along the way. And then there's a third thing, right? The third way we can problem solve is to coach people. And the coach piece is an extension of what I just said, listening to problem solve. But one of the most powerful things you can do 
when you're helping people beyond asking questions and listen is to perhaps have them recognize different perspectives and have that person come to some awarenesses of things they've never thought about before, right? So this is really critical because when people are frustrated at work, in life, in their personal life, in sports and relationships, what do we typically do? Someone says they're frustrated. And you might say something like, oh, you know, that stinks. I'm sorry to hear that. You might show sympathy and empathy. And by the way, no matter what you choose to help people when they're frustrated, there's two things that are critical no matter what. One is to use empathy along the way as a tool. And the second thing is to confirm what they need from you first. Right? So what we're ultimately talking about is getting people to realize different perspectives. And a lot of times when you're in a leadership position and you're doing that coach and develop thing, you put a lot of pressure on yourself feeling like you have to come up with the solution. You have to have the answer. And that's just flat out inaccurate. I can tell you there are a lot of times going into supporting people where I don't have the answer going in. Someone will tell me an initial problem and I don't have the answer, I couldn't have the answer because I would have to collect more information to be qualified to give an answer. So there is not an innate pressure and expectation when you problem solve and help people deal with their frustration and disappointment that you're automatically supposed to have the answer. That's why I said initially, sometimes you just listen to understand and you've provided a role just by listening. And the problem is, When leaders put the pressure on themselves to have the answer, their answer often sucks because their answer could be a generic pacifying line like, you know, I totally understand and yeah, we'll have to look into that or yeah, you know, I think that'll be better in a couple of months. You just have to give it time. That doesn't really make people feel better. It's really just putting them off. You can say, I don't have the answer right now. You can also say that it will be on your radar and a priority for you to help them get that answer. But when you put the pressure on yourself to have the answer, you are setting up possibly a very generic um, generic line that just doesn't really solve a problem and adding value. I've joked on the show before, a lot of coaches in sports When someone's frustrated, they'll say, shake it off. You'll get them next time. Don't worry about it. Well, I don't think that really works in a lot of cases. Unless people can just instantly move past it. And usually what gets people to instantly move past is their own ability to be self-aware, to have a growth mindset, to have some mindfulness and self-awareness, emotional intelligence techniques, so they have the coping skills and mechanisms and tools to do it. Because usually when someone else tells someone to do it, it doesn't really work. Especially if it's a platitude and a generic line. So we're going to discuss today some techniques you can use, some conversation techniques to help people realize there are different perspectives. To help understand the best ways to support people when they're frustrated. Now, I talked to a few clients in the last few weeks, in the examples they gave, they're frustrated with their day-to-day tasks, they're frustrated with all the changes that have made, and they're frustrated with unnecessary steps to take. 
So what does that actually mean if someone says they're frustrated with those things? What it means is we don't know what it means. Because on the surface, those are what I call surface-level frustrations. So if I have a direct report that comes to me and says, i got to be honest, I'm frustrated with day-to-day tasks, that may not be why they're actually frustrated. That may be why they've concluded without a lot of reflection and deep thought that they're frustrated, but it may not be the reason. Now, look, there's a lot of reasons why people get frustrated in the workplace. Lots. One of the ones we're seeing most today is people who are struggling to adapt to remote and hybrid arrangements. Hybrid meetings, sometimes you work at home, sometimes you work in the office. Leaders are struggling to how to manage people effectively, to engage their teams the way they used to engage their teams, to feel like their teams are as productive as they used to be. And the employees themselves are, are, are struggling in the same way, to feel engaged at home without the social environment, to feel like the expectations are as clear as they always are. So that's a big one. But there are things like lack of appreciation, communication, feeling like your career has stalled, feeling like the processes and procedures are unclear or unnecessary. So there's common sources of frustration. The question is, how do you know they exist? And actually, there's two ways to know. To see them and to hear them. Now look, when it comes to having someone show you they're upset, they could be having emotional outburst. They could stop trying and you see their commitment level or their productivity or efficiency level is down. How do you know someone stopped trying? Well, it's not so obvious. A lot of you may be listening to the show in leadership and go, well, I know when people have stopped trying, but sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes they're missing deadlines. Sometimes they're not responding to emails or communications like they used to. Not trying could be modeled in a lot of different ways. So what you may see as a temporary struggle could be a bigger sign to a pattern that a person has become frustrated and disengaged at a much higher level. So those are ways people can show you. Now, as far as telling you, you know, There's lots of ways people can tell you, and you may seem like they're obvious. And when we come back from our first break, they can be obvious. But the challenge isn't whether they're obvious. The challenge is paying attention enough to notice what may be a deeper problem. So for I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Hey, welcome back to I Communicate. So we're talking about how to help people deal with frustration, but in an impactful way that actually can facilitate some behavior change and movement. So we talked about you could you could see certain things that give an indication, but now we're talking about hearing certain things. Are people venting? Are they just flat out telling you? Or are they becoming cynical? And the question is, when they do this, do you notice? 
Are you paying attention? Or are you making it about you? Are you saying, oh, that's just that's just Mary being Mary. That's just Johnny being Johnny. That's just who they are. They, you know, they like to complain. Or are you actually paying attention and addressing it? And here's the thing about people when they become cynical or vent. They develop what I call a resignation mindset, which can be very similar to a fixed mindset. When you hear people saying things like, well, you know, we've tried this before. It didn't work. And these meetings are so pointless. Why do we have so many meetings? And that's just the way things are around here. I guess we're stuck. I mean, things like that are giving you a message. You need to pay attention to that message. It's just not a one-off sentence. It could be the beginning And this is really key here. It could be the beginning of a resignation mindset. So you might say, well, I haven't heard a pattern of things like that before. So maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe they're having a bad week. Heck, maybe they're having a bad month. But this is when you don't nip things in the bud and you let that kind of attitude and mindset become contagious. Not only does it envelop with the person themselves more, in the message that they're telling themselves, but it also becomes contagious to other team members the more the cynicism and resignation and fixed mindset persist. And when we see that resistance to change, and we see that cynicism to change building up, you know what we tend to do as leaders? We try to convince them, not motivate them. We try to convince them. What's the difference between convincing and motivating. Jasmine, what's the difference between convincing someone and motivating someone? I would say it's the difference of, you know, changing their mind. If you're motivating someone, you're trying to get them to do what they want or what you want. It could be either way versus trying to get someone to do something is much more usually do what I want to do. Yeah, I think that's really close. I mean, I think, Jasmine, what it comes down to is it's, I love the way you began that. When you're, when you're convincing someone, your mindset is, I've got to change their mind. When you're motivating someone, you're helping them recognize why it would be beneficial to do something differently. So do you notice the convincing part is the onus of convincing is on the leader doing a lot of the talking and the legwork, where the motivating is on the leader facilitating a conversation by asking questions and listening. So the convincing is more talking and and persuading, where the motivating is more asking questions, listening, and helping people draw their own conclusions. So when people become frustrated and they're cynical and they're resistant to change and they see this big picture as getting worse and worse, you know, We've got to nip those problems in the bud, you know, and address those before they become contagious. So that's, that's a really important aspect of this. Now, let's go to how to deal with these problems, right? Well, the obvious one is you can deal with them by addressing it directly. I mean, this is the advice a lot of leaders get. Well, What what am I saying in this show? You know, if you sense a problem, you better address it quickly, right? And you should, right? But see, here's the problem now. These are what I call courageous conversations. And when you 
have to have a conversation. When you have either seen or heard frustrations, it seems obvious, yeah, we better deal with that directly, but what gets in the way? What gets in the way of the obvious step to have a courageous conversation? Time, right? I don't have time for this, right? Second is the ability to believe you can help and you have a solution. And so even though a lot of leaders know they should deal with the frustration, have that conversation, problem is, is knowing they should do it and actually doing it are different obstacles. So yes, you have to recognize that this is important so it doesn't become contagious and persist. Believing that even if you can't actually have the solution to the problem, your ability to listen, to understand, and feel like they have a sounding board can also be really valuable even if you don't have a direct solution. So again, I pointed out like it may seem obvious, right, I know I should talk to my direct report. I know I should talk to the person in my life having this problem. But feeling like you're qualified and competent to have that conversation is a whole different story, right? Do I have the time? Do I have the answers? And am I qualified and competent to do so to have a behavior change or to facilitate a behavior change, right? So that's what we're talking about. Now, here's where it gets interesting, right? So we've talked about the obstacles. We've talked about the causes of frustration now we got to get to the root cause of the frustration, right? And I want to put this in terms of your mouth, okay? So when we think of the word root, we usually think of it in two, two ways. We think of it in something that grows, like a plant or a flower, and we think of it in a very painful way, like getting a root canal in our mouth. Well, why is everything painful in a root canal? Because everything starts in the root. right? In a plant, same way, it starts in the root. So think of why root cause is so critical to problem solving. If you are solving a problem that isn't actually the right problem, you're going to fail. If you are, sur- if you are solving a surface level problem, you are going to fail. You must get to the root cause of the problem. If someone is coming in late for work, I assure you, it's not because of traffic. It's not because their alarm clock didn't go off. They know to say, they know to have an alarm that works. They know traffic can happen. Those aren't the problems. Why are they coming in late for work? Well, I'm going to tell you why. It may be because they don't value coming to work on time. They may not see a consequence to coming to work on time. They also might have made a unilateral judgment that they do so many other things well, they don't need to come to work on time. That's what I mean about root cause. If someone isn't responding to your emails, it's not because they're trying to make you angry. It may be. It's not impossible. But I'm saying most cases... It's not. There's something going on that's preventing them from returning your emails in a timely manner. It could be they stink at time management. It could be they don't have a good way to prioritize their responsibilities. Could be they're overwhelmed. They're having some work-life balance issues. And it could be, again, because they feel like they do everything else well. And if they don't get to the emails, too bad because I'm overwhelmed and busy. 
But getting to the root cause is critical. You cannot be a good leader, someone who coaches and develops and motivates people for a living, if you don't know how to get to the root cause of a problem. And I'm going to walk through this with you and give you an example. Watch how a root cause conversation can take place. We're going to take an imaginary employee named Bob. Bob misses the deadline for an important report, and now it's late. Why did Bob miss the deadline? Well, we immediately have a default reaction, and we conclude why Bob missed the deadline. And you may be right, and you may be wrong, but it's just that. It's, it's an assumption and a reaction, because you don't know. So if you were getting to the root cause of why Bob missed this deadline, well, maybe it's because Bob, Bob was never given the due date. Maybe the due date for, for, the, for the project had changed and Bob forgot to know. So well, what are we talking about there? Is did, did someone properly set expectations for Bob? If Bob didn't do something he was supposed to do, was he clear on the expectations? Or did you assume he should know and prioritize? Okay, that's one thing. Now, it could be that there's other people involved that forgot to tell Bob. But that's one thing. Maybe Bob's role in this project wasn't clearly defined. Maybe nobody had ever written down the responsibilities that went in with this project. But the bottom line is, we don't know until we start asking questions. When I ask people why they're passionate about what they do for a living, and they say it's because they like to help people, I say, nope, don't believe you. And they said, what do you mean? I do like to help people. I said, no, I'm not doubting you like to help people. But that's not ultimately why you do this for a living. You do it because at some point in your life, you made a decision that you like to help people. You didn't come out of the womb and determine that you like to help people. Maybe you had influencers in your life that made that a core value and a priority. Maybe you weren't helped a whole heck of a lot over the course of your life. And so you want to pay it forward by giving people experiences and opportunities that you didn't have. But I assure you, you didn't wake up one day and just decide, I like to help people. So when I ask people the root cause of their passion and they say it's because I like to help people, I encourage them to do some self-reflection and soul searching to determine why did you become a teacher? Why did you become a nurse? Why did you become a firefighter? Why did you become a police officer? Why did you become a professional coach? It's not just because you like to help people. There's other factors that get to the root of why you've chosen this for a career. So look, when we come back for our next segment, we're going to get into conversation intelligence, how to have these conversations. I've told you the causes. I've told you the red flags. I've told you things to be aware of when you're having these conversations. Now let's talk about that execution piece of conversations. How are you going to have an impactful conversation to help someone who's frustrated? So for I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back.
Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to iCommunicate. We're talking about how to deal with people or individuals that are frustrated. And we're going to get into conversation intelligence now, how to have this conversation. And, you know, the the first step of the conversation is really pretty basic and easy. It's... It's sharing how you know what you observed, right? Now, you might be sitting there and saying, well, that's pretty easy. But remember what I said now. There's two ways to know someone's frustrated. One is you've heard them say it to you, where that makes it really easy. But one is you've observed something, right, and you've noticed something. So the key is you start the conversation and you say, hey, I wanted to talk to you. I've noticed um, – a few things that I wanted to ask you about it, or I heard you say the other day, and I wanted to chat with you about that, okay? And so after you kind of set the context of the conversation, I think the second part has to be empathy and validation. But as I've said this before on the show, it has to be authentic. You know, if you're going to, validating does not mean agreeing. So if someone feels frustrated about something going on at the workplace, even if you think their frustration is irrational, unreasonable, they're being high maintenance, they're being too sensitive, too bad. Still validate them. Because validate doesn't mean agree. So if you look at someone and you say, hey, you know what? I've been thinking about what you said. You know, I can understand why that would be frustrating to you. And, you know, I'm sorry you're feeling that way. Like, that's a great way to start the conversation to validate and empathize with what they are frustrated about. Now, this is when we get into the root cause part of the conversation. So I'm going to give you an example of an employee who is frustrated because there are errors in their commission checks. Okay? So this is a salesperson who is getting errors in their commission checks. They're frustrated. And think about the mind of a salesperson here. Salesperson is doing the hardest job, right? They're adding new business for the company. They're growing the company. Heck, let's even say in this case, they're exceeding their quota, right? And most of them work on commission. So now you've got a salesperson who's doing everything right, and the damn company can't get their commission checks right. So they feel justified. They feel very entitled to be angry and frustrated. That's key. Because when you're trying to understand what's bothering someone, it's not about what you think they should be frustrated about. It's about the perception is reality. And if they see it as unfair or ridiculous, then that's what matters. So the commission checks are wrong. They're finding errors in the order and commissions. So when I get done empathizing and validating, I would say to someone to start the root cause conversation, so... I know you said you're really frustrated lately about the company. You told me you're frustrated about the company, all right? So what's really going on? What is frustrating you about the company, all right? And then the person tells me. They say, well, I'm sick of getting errors in my commission, right? And then I say, okay. And I can, by the way, I can empathize and validate again. It's not a one-off. You don't just get one opportunity. And then I'll say to the person, Is that it or is there anything else? Critical. 
you must collect all the reasons they're frustrated in the beginning of this conversation. And so they say, well, yeah, actually, there is something else. I'm kind of frustrated that I feel like there's some policies and procedures have changed that are requiring us to jump through hoops to get things done. So now I know there are two things. Leaders, I beg you, please take notes during these conversations. Please have something in front of you. Because sometimes the answer to the question of what's really frustrating you about the company, they may have four or five things. And I've got to tell you, I don't know about you, but if someone gives me four or five reasons, I'm not going to remember them all. So I write down to be and execute conversation intelligence, collect the reasons, ask for all the reasons, write them down, and then address them one at a time. There is no blanket solution you can implement to put in place. Now, I mentioned earlier in the show that a lot of times leaders will solve problems by saying things like, well, I can't fix it right now, or it'll be better eventually, or we are working on that. If your instinct is to say something generic, very simple solution. Every time your instinct to say something generic, ask a question, because you have nothing valuable to say, so don't say it. Ask a question. So here's what I would love for you to say, okay? What can I do to make it better? Seems pretty simple, which I bet a lot of leaders actually do that. But here's where it gets interesting. So now you've gone from what's the real problem, what are the root causes, the person gave to, and you said, what can I do to make it better? Now, what I think is going to happen in situations where you pose that question is... They're not going to know the answer. They haven't thought about what you can do to make it better. Frankly, they may be surprised you're even asking the question in the first place to help them. So they haven't thought about it. So don't expect an immediate answer. Okay, so when someone struggles to give an answer to the question, how can I make it better? You have a couple of choices. You can actually reconvene the conversation and say to the person, you know what? I'd like you to give this some thought because I'd like to support you with this. And frankly, All the solutions you come up with on how I can make this better, I don't know if I'll be able to implement them, but I'd like for you to come up with a list to see if I can, and then we can have an additional conversation. You could do that, or you can stimulate some thought and pose some suggestions. Now, as it turns out, in this specific scenario in question, is With this client, we determined there were three causes to the issue of incorrect commission checks. One of them was a vendor that they work with. One of them was system software-related errors. And one of them was human error. Now, if you remember what I said earlier in the show about enlightening people and giving them perspective, so here's how this played out. Remember now, the person is tired of incorrect commission checks. And the way the person sees it, it's 100% the company's fault, 0% their fault. This is the message they're giving themselves in their head. Well, as it turns out, the vendor errors related were because the person in question didn't attend the vendor training on how to enter key order reports for proper commission checks. So this person didn't value going to that training and as a result, didn't have all the information they need 
to submit their commission requests properly. And guess what? Now it's the company's fault. The company provided the training. They didn't feel like they needed to show up. So that's one issue. The second issue was software errors. Okay? So software errors, that is the company's fault. And the third issue are human errors. The salesperson themselves was making some mistakes. So the salesperson's narrative to themselves is, company screwing me over, doesn't care about my commission, wrong. And as it turns out, the person is only one-third correct. Because if they had attended the training, they could have had that information. If they had a, a due diligence or quality control process to check their own work to make sure it was accurate, that's on them. So two of the three things the salesperson themselves could have had control over. So if you don't have this conversation, right, you don't, you can't give the person their perspective of what they can control and what they can't control. They can control going to trainings and they can control checking their work when they submit orders. Now here's the, here's the crazy part of this whole thing. This company in question provides, I'm sorry, provides access to a payroll report where every two weeks you can check against the payroll report to make sure you are being paid properly. That has been there since the beginning of time. Do you think the person checks the payroll report? Nope. So now what happens is the person could be checking the payroll report, could be checking their own work, and could have gone to the vendor training. Now listen, if, if you're processing my thoughts on this and you're thinking I'm turning it around and making it about the person, no, that's not what I'm doing. I say it on the show all the time, it always takes two to tango. And when people are frustrated with a situation, they often tell themselves it's everybody else's fault. And they forget their role in it and they forget what they can control to prevent it. So, look, one last thought before we head into our third break is such a good aspect of coaching and problem solving is getting people to recognize some blind spots and shortcomings that they didn't realize they have. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. So when we come back, I'm going to finish up conversation intelligence in our final segment and what you can expect in conversations like this as outcomes and results. For I Communicate, this is Mark Altman. Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, so we're back for our final segment, and I talked about making sure when you collect the reasons, the root causes why someone is upset, you address them individually. We went through, and so the problem is, how do you end these conversations? Well, most people, even if you get them to embrace different perspectives 
uh, or or have more of a growth mindset than a fixed mindset, or even take responsibility for their part in it, most people are not going to end the conversation and say to the leader, oh, thank you so much about pointing out my blind spots and flaws. I, I feel so much better now. I really appreciate that. Yeah, they're not going to do that. But what they may do in what your ultimate goal in the conversation, because you're probably not going to get that instant gratification, you, you're probably not even going to get, you know what, I'm not as frustrated with the company now. You may not even get that. But if they're walking away and in their mind, they're thinking about things a little bit differently, they have acknowledged their role in the conversation that they could check out that report every two weeks, you know, they could attend future trainings to make sure they're set up for success. Those are huge wins for that conversation. So if you're looking for instant gratification and feedback that you're a hero for pointing these things out, it's not happening. Okay, so that's an example. The other example I want to cover here in the last segment is remember I said the second reason they pointed out were the unnecessary steps to do the job. So as I said, I'm, I validate and empathize their concern and now I'm asking them as a root cause, you mentioned there's a lot of unnecessary steps you have to take to do your job. What are the steps that frustrate you the most? Okay. And that's a good way to start. And now the person says, well, I'm frustrated I have to rekey re orders. I'm frustrated that orders, orders get stuck in the system. And I'm frustrated that I don't know why they get stuck in the system. So again, three different things. I wrote down all three things, right? And so I say, okay, well, let's take, let's take the first thing, right? You said that orders are canceled for no reason and don't know why. So if an order is canceled, what are the steps you could take to find out why. And you notice how I'm asking, what are the steps you could take? Implying that you had control over this. When you didn't know why an order was canceled and you're frustrated with the company, you could find out. Now, you may find it to be a cumbersome process to have to find out. You may be determining that it's a waste of your time to take the steps to find out. But that doesn't mean you didn't have options available. So it turns out that at this company, there are support people that they can push the orders to to find out. And it turns out that they're really frustrated because they feel like it's taking away from selling time to have to micromanage and QC these orders to make sure they're right, which I get. And the reason why I'm covering this last example, because in this company's case, they have made a transition in their order entry system for commission, and it's, it's had some issues. So you can certainly validate and empathize with the person in question because, frankly, they are having to put more time necessary to check this process, even if they do have avenues to find out answers and set themselves up for success. So I say to, my, I say to the person, listen, I know one of your concerns was that they're canceled for no reason and don't know why. Okay? Now, in my experience, there's three, way, three reasons an order can get canceled. Either the buyer cancels it, the purchase order is cut incorrectly, or it's canceled by collections. So those are the three reasons, or among the reasons, so you can find out why 
by pushing them on to support people. And here's the thing, everybody. This is an enormous company we're talking about in question. So I actually asked the leader I was speaking to, I said, let me ask you a question. If every single person in the organization pushed their order questions onto this support team, would the support team easily get overwhelmed and be unable to keep up? And she said, oh my God, yes. I said, did you ever think that's a good thing? Because if everybody is just venting their frustration internally to themselves and complaining and no one's doing anything about it, then no one really understands the scope of the problem. But if everybody starts pushing the mistakes to the support team, all of a sudden the support team says to their leader, holy smoke, we're getting hundreds of errors. And then the leader and the support team goes to the CEO and says, man, this software issue we're having, we better put some resources and and efforts into fixing this sooner rather than later because this is a mess. And so when you have a frustration conversation, you often uncover very valuable details that can help companies make better decisions, to spend money, to, to prioritize and delegate resources, and to know the scope of the problem as opposed to people who enable a problem. Now, when you speak up and advocate for the difficulty and frequency and consequences of a problem, you're not guaranteed the company will see the priority, but you're guaranteed they won't if you don't. So, like I said, they had three concerns. I don't want to rekey orders. It takes time I should be selling. The orders get stuck in the system. There's the unknown. Are they going to go through? And then the orders get canceled, and I don't know why. Right? So, again, you've got to take each issue one by one. At this company, some people are thinking of quitting. They're so frustrated that they're thinking of quitting. And the leaders have been told. So what question do you think I would say to that leader to ask the people who are at that level of frustration? I would say, geez, sounds like you're really frustrated. What do you think the biggest issues are that are leading to you getting to such a point of frustration that you're thinking of quitting. What are the biggest issues? And as it turns out in this case, number one, they feel like they're losing business. Number two, they feel like the sales process has become more transactional than relational, and they're frustrated by that. And number three, they've started to lose confidence in their own ability to sell. Three totally separate issues from one another you'd have to talk through each of those issues. You're talking about corporate performance and having salespeople feel like they're being supported effectively. You're talking about transactional versus relational, which based on change management, it may be the sales process of the company and it may be part of the reason they took the job in the first place and now it's affecting their fuel and passion for what they do. So you'd have to talk about that. And the confidence issue could stem from a whole bunch of things. It could stem from, because it is more transactional, their go-to methods to be an effective salesperson they don't feel like are working anymore. It could be that they're not motivated to do their job because there's certain aspects to their job they don't feel like they're as competent anymore, so it's affecting their confidence. Totally different issues. And let me tell you something. Even when you take that third aspect of confidence, 
You'd have to go through this process again. If someone says, you know, I'm not feeling confident, the obvious question should be, what's contributing to your loss of confidence? And when you're dealing with multiple issues that are causing someone's engagement, motivation, frustration level, any of those things, they all could relate to the other. So one question I like to ask is, boy, if you were to regain your confidence, how much would it affect you? Would you really feel much better about working here? Would you really feel much better about your chance of success? Because part of when you identify root causes is to know what I call the blame pie. So I mentioned three issues. Issue number one is corporate support. Issue number two is confidence. And issue number three is transactional versus relational. Well, what percentage of each of those three top reasons is contributing to this person's lack of engagement and frustration? You'd have to know that. Because when you're problem solving, you have to know what you can put more energy into solving. So if the person, if you ask that confidence question and you say, if you were to regain your confidence, how much better would you feel about working at this company? And they look at you and they go, a little. Well, guess what? Then the other two issues must be making up more than 67% of the problem because they don't seem like that would make a big difference. It's a piece, but not the biggest piece. So you better get to the root cause of what's taking up the biggest piece of the pie in the blame pie chart. Look, I've said this before. I'll say it again. This is not easy. I I shouldn't even be able to sleep at night. I mean, in all seriousness, I mean, my company has grown a ton in the last year. And we have a waiting list and a pipeline for business. But I have to tell you, I, I should be getting requests all day, every day for emotionally intelligent communication, for conversation intelligence, how to have the multitude difficult conversations you have to have in the workplace around motivation, performance improvement, habit replacement, behavior change, adapting to change, dealing with frustration, all these things. There's not one company right now that isn't dealing with some or all of those things, or at least one of those things. So it's all about how to have a conversation, how to be emotional, intelligent, having that conversation, and how to motivate, coach, and develop people. That's what leadership is. And how do you get people to trust you enough so they'll let you support them? We're going to talk about that next week. So that's an episode. That's it for I Communicate. I'm Mark Altman. For more information, to contact us, info at mindsetgo.com, 978-793-1159. Jasmine, thanks again. And we'll see you all next time. This is I Communicate. You've been listening to I Communicate with your host, Mark Altman. Join us again each week at this time on Full Service Radio, WCRN.